bags are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I wouldn't want it any other way Hello and welcome to episode 111 of the Corinne Nidja podcast. This podcast is where I share stories from all over the world from all over the world, of people overcoming chronic disease with the help of a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based, vegan diet, health transformation stories, people who have overcome heart disease, diabetes, multiple sclerosis, several forms of cancer, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, arthritis. So, so many conditions on here. Scroll back, you'll find them all. Today's guest is Emily Sonzi. She is incredible. She has her own Instagram account that you should follow, Emily Sonzi, E-M-I-L-L-Y-S-O-N-S-I-E. Her son Hudson is of on the stories all the time and he is super adorable. And she was back on episode 83 as well, sharing her own vegan health transformation story after recovering from polycystic ovaries, IBS and disordered eating. And I loved meeting Emily back then and then we realised we lived close by and now I am forcing her into a friendship. (laughs) But she is here again today because my lovely friend Emma uh, has a beautiful, beautiful newborn son and she was saying, look, I would love... Well, she didn't say this. She just asked if I have any episodes about raising vegan kids And I thought that is a great idea. So here is one. Today, Emily and I are going to be talking about our own experiences, part interview, part just chat, which most of my interviews are, just chatting about raising vegan kids and how we find it, how we navigate it in a non-vegan world. And these are all of our thoughts. We tried to answer as many questions as I thought people might have about socialising, about birthday parties, about treat food, about all those types of things about iron, protein, calcium, all those things. So if that's something that you would like to know more about as a person raising a vegan child or considering raising a vegan child or switching to a whole food plant-based diet, maybe this episode might be for you. I hope so. I'm going to interview some other mums because I really think that the more stories out there about people raising healthy, thriving vegan children and preventing them from potentially getting chronic disease later on. The more stories out there like that, I think the better because, you know, the media has a tendency to put the opposite stories out everywhere in the world. And those stories are most, well, they've never not been clickbait stories that are designed to scare people away from veganism and that when you look when you tease look past the when you look past the headline for a moment even for a quick glance you notice that those parents have myriad other issues going on that are far greater than their vegan beliefs often they have significant mental health problems other things going on that have led to their child being neglected that are unrelated. And as someone who has worked in child protection before, I literally saw thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of cases because I was working in statistics and in 
intake and I never ever saw a vegan child come through in all of my, you know, it was only a short stint, but I mean, I saw so many cases and the case, there was many, many cases and they were all from non-vegan parents and I never had a vegan, it wasn't like child protection just full of vegan neglect cases. There was literally none in all my year and a half that I worked for child protection and Every, all the other cases that came through were from non-vegan parents. Not to do, not often to do with diet, but there were lots to do with kids being drastically overweight and obese and un, and overfed on a junk food, sad Australian diet, high in fat, meat, eggs, dairy, processed foods, sugars, salts. So this episode is to just talk and introduce you to another woman, Emily Sonzi, over at Instagram. You'll see Hunter, her beautiful Hunter, and all the foods that they eat every day so that you can, if you are a vegan parent or an aspiring vegan parent, you can have some positive vegan messaging in your world about how and what it looks like to raise healthy, thriving vegan children. So, Without further ado, I hope you enjoy our conversation and I'll see you at the end of the episode. Bye. Hello, Emily Sonzi, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Corinne. Well, it's actually welcome back to the show because you've already been on here sharing your amazing stories of recovery from endometriosis, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Yes. And more for me, it was more about eating disorder and overcoming disordered thoughts and patterns. Yes, that's right. And what number was that, your episode? Oh. We'll have to scroll. I'll put it in the show notes so everyone can find it. But I loved that episode and your story is really powerful and we made lifelong friends. That's it. (laughs) That's what we need. That's what we need, more of a whole food, plant-based, vegan mama friends. And And that's connection. Exactly. And that is why we're here today because I felt like, actually, I should go to the immediate, the real source. The source was a friend of mine, a new mum friend of mine uh, named Emma. Hi, Emma, if you're listening. She wrote to me and she said that she would love, because she's a new mum, a vegan mum, she would love episodes about raising vegan kids. And I thought, yeah, that's a really great idea because there are more and more vegan kids out there and people are switching to a whole food plant-based diet or they're already whole food plant-based, but they're nervous about having a child whole food plant-based and what that might mean. And the pushback from in the media and in their families and friends and peer groups about potentially putting their child's health at risk. Uh, and so I thought, yeah, that's a really, really good idea. So I'm going to get some of my favorite vegan mamas on the show to talk just to chat really about not so much an interview but a you know a conversation about raising vegan kids so today emily is the very first vegan mama we're going to be talking all about her beautiful son hunter which if you follow her on instagram you'll know but if you don't definitely go follow emily sonzi I've mentioned it in the introduction and it'll be in the show notes and it will be mentioned at the end, but Emily with a double L. That's it. S-O-N-S-I-E on Instagram, Facebook, everywhere. 
Just mainly Instagram. Mainly Instagram. And, yeah, her page is so wonderful and I love all the bits that you share. Stories are my very favourite. Thank you. I love getting my dose of you and Hunter and Michael in the morning to start my day. Share his smile with everyone. Yeah, it's so beautiful. And, yes, we're going to be talking about all of our favourite questions about raising vegan kids. So let's get started. Let's do it. So, Emily, I you have two-year-old Hunter. Yes, two and a half now. Oh, my goodness. And as everyone who's listened to this podcast knows, I have eight-year-old Iggy and four-year-old Theo. And, yeah, what I wanted, what I well, I guess I see often, you get the clickbait articles about, you know, vegan kid malnourished and people people tag you in it if you're a vegan or they post it to their page to to prove that being vegan is impossible and dangerous for children. And, you know, it gets shared so many times because it is such a uh, title. It's so frightening and jarring and whatever. And everyone loves to get those kinds of articles confirming their beliefs and their fears about veganism. And, yeah, I love having people like yourself out there who are giving an opposing viewpoint. So what made you go vegan in the first place? How did it start for you, for people who haven't listened to your original episode? So for me, it was all from a health perspective to begin with, and I had a lot of digestive and gut health issues. And that happened actually just after Hunter was born. So I wasn't vegan when I was pregnant because I didn't even really know that it was a thing. And I wish I did. Um, but basically, once I found this information, I read and absorbed as much of it as I could and realized that it would really help me and my gut. And it did. It made a really big impact on me. And then as I think is what happens with a lot of people, we all start from a certain pillar, whether that's health or environmental or ethical reasons. But we do tend to connect the dots for all the other aspects as well. So I started to realize the impact that eating um, animal products was having on the environment and how removing them from my diet could assist that. And especially after having my son, you know, I want there to be a beautiful planet for him to inherit once he grows up and, and once we're no longer here as well and for potential grandbabies, et cetera. And then also connecting the ethical. So I would never have called myself an animal lover in the past. Like I like dogs and, you know, your typical domesticated animals but I really started to understand what was happening in factory farming and there's just no way that once I knew that information I could ever 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 put animal products back onto my plate and then that happened it was about a three-month transition for me and then it was pretty obvious that I was going to be raising Hunter Vegan and it was very, very exciting that my partner, who was not vegan at the time and is now, but he was always very supportive of that choice. He just had to, I suppose, to do his own journey into unlearning the information that he'd been uh, brought up on and that was culturally and societally expected of him. And now we're just a happy little vegan family, not causing any harm to anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful. So with Hunter, was he vegan when he started his first foods or did you have to switch? Yeah, no. So he is 
uh, besides a little sneaky bit of dog food that he may have eaten out of the dog's bowl, <laughs> he is 100% vegan through and through. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. Very. But, you know, that's what they do. That's they're, what they're they learning. do. They, they certainly are. <laughs> oh, the gross things kids eat. Oh, it's alarming. So what was his first food? His first food was sweet potato. And I know that because he stole it off my plate and I wasn't going to start with solids yet. I think it was just over five months. and I was going to wait until the six-month window hit, but he started reaching for it and started wanting it. And it was just fun, you know, so we just went with it. I, I've always followed his lead in his developmental cues. So um, we started there and we did baby led weaning with him. So he ate exactly what we ate and kind of exactly how we ate it. I just made sure obviously the pieces he wasn't going to choke on um, and hurt himself when trying new foods, but he would just hold the foods and, and feed him himself, which was really fun. A lot of mess, but a lot of fun. Baby led wean. I can we for people who don't know what baby led weaning is. Do you yes. want to? Because I did the same thing, but do you want to give them a bit of understanding of what baby led weaning is? Yeah. So baby led weaning is essentially when they eat everything that you eat, and you don't mash their food, you don't puree their food. It's in its normal form as you would eat it, and they feed themselves. So there's no spoon feeding involved. It's all about them discovering the food that they're eating, the textures and developing, you know, their fine motor control over it and having the reason that I loved it the most though is it's about putting them in control. So it's about them deciding what they eat, how they eat it, if they want any more or not, and not about you force feeding down, you know, a hundred grams of apple puree from a jar because that's how much the serving size said your baby should be having at midday. So I like that. You know, if they can, I breastfed Hunter up until about one. He um, didn't want to breastfeed anymore. And I'm like, if they can control when they're hungry for milk from the very first day that they're born and they have these beautiful feeding cues and their cute little faces that they make to indicate that, then he is well equipped to be in control of the actual food that he can put in his mouth as well. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I did it for very similar reasons, but I also just love, for me, being a child who was, you know, we had the rice cereals, uh, just pureed everything, and I was a food addict, and I I grew up to a food addict, and I am am a recovering, trying to recover food addict now, (laughs) (laughs) but... I really liked the idea of him knowing his own fullness when he was full, him deciding what was what was right for his body and him I loved the idea that he would learn how the things he liked himself and not have me cra- so I would I always loved putting, you know, just a rainbow of foods on his high chair, watching him destroy it. Me Control freak, neat, neat freak, having my little, oh, gosh, you're making such oh, a mess. It definitely teaches you to let go oh, and just embrace gosh. the mess. Mess can be cleaned up. Memories can be remade. That was just my motto and still is. So it was all, all fun. Always had a variety of food up for him and still do. Um, to be honest, though, I probably feed him more now than I did when he was younger because two-year-olds – they dictate what you do with your time and I have to spend my feeding him his food because apparently his arms don't work as well as they should half the time. <laughs> I have to I have to admit the same that I still spoon feed Theo four years old yep. because he would take 400 years to eat his breakfast before we want to go to the park. Yep, he goes, mango, mama. So, okay, he goes, you feed, you feed. 
<sighs> okay. What am I meant to do? Not give him the mango? <laughs> so I feed him more now than I did when he was little. Yeah. But I will say that his fine motor development has been really incredible to watch. And mm. I've had people comment on that that haven't had their kids with those abilities. And I really do believe it was to do with that ability to hit, for him to feed himself when he was younger because he was picking up chickpeas and peas and holding everything in his hands and playing with small pieces. So it was yeah. very interesting to watch. And I will put links in the show notes if you're curious or you're wondering like where the research came from. Which I, I read a book, like several books about it and about the gag reflex and all these ways that it's developmentally optimal for kids and safe and I really I really personally loved it and it meant that he ate such a diverse range of foods really young and has continued to do so what I was going to ask you next was how did your immediate family and friends react to the idea of you raising a vegan child so my family know me extremely well and we're very, very, very close. So they know that I am very research-based. So even though they had a lot of questions, from the very beginning, they did trust what the decisions that we were making around his diet because they knew that I wasn't just doing it on a whim. They also knew how much I loved my child, as we all do. So I would never put him in harm's way or do anything that hadn't been researched and backed up by a lot of science and evidence. Just be, not that everyone requires that, but that's the type of person that I am. And I, I did a lot of listening and watching and reading before I made any decisions even about myself. And then specifically, you know, did all of the due diligence for my son as well. So my family were really receptive to that and they definitely had questions, you know, this question, where, so, okay, so where's he going to get his calcium? Where's he going to get his protein? But once I'd answered the question, they're like, okay, that's fine. That's, you know, that's that's not a problem at all. Just don't expect us to go vegan though as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say they've all made some really big changes to their own plate as well, even though they are not vegan themselves. But it's been really interesting to watch the ripple effect that you have when living your life onto others, which is really cool. But the support was really there from the start, which was great. That's really great. I have to say my family were very supportive. I think a lot to do with my multiple sclerosis. Yeah. But they were really supportive about him be- our kids being raised vegan just because of my own health transformation that they were like, well, why would we not want that for our grandkids and nephews as well? Definitely. I have had comments though, so, you know, why are you – so it's fine. You can be vegan if you want to, but why are you forcing that onto, say, your husband? And why are you forcing that onto your son? And for me, it was never about looking at it like it through that lens. I'm the one who does the cooking in the house, so I'm going to cook a certain way and make delicious food. So no one was ever complaining. You know, even when Michael wasn't vegan, that's my husband, he was more than happy to eat any of the food that I cooked. And then he just slowly connected the dots on in, in his own time frame. And then for my son, I suppose any way we cook or any way we bring up our children, you are imposing your values on your kids. Mm. It's not about it's not about what those values are. Any value, whether you eat meat, you're forcing that on your child. If you don't eat meat, you're forcing that on your child. If you follow a particular religion, you're forcing that on your child. So force is such a negative word, but 
if that's how you want to take it with being vegan, then it goes both ways. It's exactly the same. I completely agree. And I always just think for me personally, when someone says that kind of thing, and I hear that so often, you know, why forced you can let, let them choose to not eat meat later on. And I'm like, well, let them choose to eat meat later on. Like, why wouldn't exactly. you want to say, I made the choice to take an animal's life, not my mum forced me to take an animal's life? Yeah. When I was a kid and I wish I never had to, like if I could say I never took an animal's life. Oh, that would be the dream. That would be a dream for me. Uh, so I think that for me I would always want, and I think most kind, compassionate people would wish to have never harmed an animal over having been given the choice to not harm them later on. Definitely agree. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, obviously, if you're not vegan and you're listening to this and you're like, shut up, lady. <laughs> I apologize. But I mean, for me, that is my value. My value is kindness and compassion to all. And I um, personally, from my child, I think I'm going to let him choose when he wants that karmic, that to make that choice that has a ripple effect to animals and the planet later on himself. Now, I wanted to also ask you what his favorite foods are your sons and I'll talk, tell you what my sons are as well he is an absolute fruit lover through and through so currently gold kiwi fruits he had about six the other day passion fruits mangoes they they would be his his top three at the moment but then in terms of savory hummus hummus and all the hummus (laughs) and avocado. So he's just typical vegan, hummus, avocado and fruit. I mean, that's really all you need in life. I do feed him more than that, but if he could choose, he would just live on that all the time. And dates, he is a big fan of dates. He's got a sweet tooth. So it is really fun to watch him, to love it all and enjoy it. And it's such a vibrant food. It's How can you not? And I think that that's exactly one of the things I loved reading about was how, you know, we're an animal that can see all these colors. A lot of, you know, like dogs, carnivores don't see all the colors that we see, whereas herbivores, we see all the colors of the fruit. So we can identify fruits and the colors and we have all these senses on our tongue so we can taste all these fruits that other carnivores, you know, don't have. Sweet receptors for sugars. We have all of those because we're meant to be eating lots of fruits and vegetables and colourful, colourful, antioxidant-rich foods. And I love seeing kids just, you know, I love seeing videos of Hunter with all those fruit bowls and smoothie bowls and all that rainbow food in front of him. Just You can just imagine being a child getting that. Yeah, we, we talk in colour. So like I said, what smoothie do you want? He goes, a pink smoothie or a yellow smoothie. And we just experiment with different flavours and, and get a whole lot of nutrients into him at once that way too. And I think this is like as Dr. Furman. I'm sorry if I'm making a lapse. I haven't got his book in front of me, but there's so many Joels that Dr. Joel and Dr. Joel Khan and Furman, I always get those two mixed around, so I apologize. But nutrient density, and I think that people, when they look at the, I think there's like two vegan children neglect stories that always just come back and back and back into the media over and over and over again. And those children ate like nothing, no food. They weren't vegan. It wasn't a vegan diet. It was a starvation neglect diet that was damaging those children, which there are many, many children across the world who are having 
meat diets where they're also being neglected. It's just that it's clickbait once it's got the title vegan to it. So, you know, vegans can have mental health problems as well and neglect their children. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I've had those articles pointed and, and thrown my way as well. And, you know, fears around Hunter developing these, you know, neurological disorders from them and, and developing, you know, bone density issues. And you have to actually read the article and not just the heading and understand that these are really neglectful parents, whether they're vegan or not. They just happen to be vegan. And there are, unfortunately, hundreds of families, you know, that are also neglecting their children, but they're not vegan. So it's not getting mentioned because it's not going to have the clickbait that the media outlets are wanting. So it's really easy to get caught up in the headlines. And what it also does is I find it creates fear. And when we create fear, we don't change because it's too scary. And we also don't have eight hours in a day to just go and sit down and research all the information that we need. So if someone says it's bad for you because of this, we go, okay, well, that's all I need to know. Too scary. I'll stick with what I know and I won't make change. So they succeed. Those articles succeed in, in doing that. So you do you know, be be more careful about what you read and actually read the information. And just think about who profits from that headline. I think that often when I look at research articles that come out, I think if this, if just by looking at it, I like to question who is the one who benefits from people believing this story. And often if you follow the money trail, the money trail comes back to, animal agriculture benefits from stories like this coming out and scaring people to continue eating meat and dairy and eggs, which many of those foods are linked, we know, from this podcast and from all the doctors that have come on this show and all the research that is out there now that those foods contribute to chronic disease, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, all of those conditions, which there should be many articles talking about that, but there is just not. Now, I just but I mentioned Dr. Joel Fairman and I didn't follow it up. But what I meant is like Hunter is eating a nutrient dense diet. You know, he if you watch follow them on Instagram, he's eating a rainbow of colors and nutrients and nutrients and vibrant foods. And that and that is the key to optimal health. And that's why Hunter is thriving and my children are thriving because we we just prioritize raw, whole or coal and raw, cooked and raw nutrient-dense whole plant foods, and that is the best sources of nutrients and vitamins our children can get. Could not agree more. I wanted to talk to you about iron, calcium, B12, omega-3, protein. Where does Hunter get all of these things that vegans cannot get? And that's why we are fading away. (laughs) (laughs) He gets his B12 from a spray that I take as well and Michael takes and we take it well we should take it every day but it's more when we remember sometimes and the reason we take a B12 substitute is because you supplement sorry you can't really most people are deficient in B12 even meat eaters because it comes from the soil yeah it comes from the soil and our soil is depleted and it's not what it used to be at all so the, our veggies are washed and you know we're not ingesting that soil either anymore. So taking the B12 supplement is really essential and recommended for anyone, not just if you're vegan. Even the animals are taking supplements these days. Yes, mm-hmm. definitely. And they're taking a lot more than supplements. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, and then everything else we just get from whole foods. So 
having, as you said before, a diverse and nutrient-dense diet, I find it not overwhelming, but I never wanted to stress myself out too much with where and what the nutrients are that we're eating every day. And the reason for that is because of my history with food obsession and with disordered eating is it's very easy for me to get caught up on numbers and calorie counting or making sure that I'm getting X amount of protein every single day and really sticking to that. And I didn't want that for myself again and because I've broken out of that, which has been incredibly liberating for myself. But I never wanted to instill that in my son, you know, make sure, you know, you have to eat X, Y, and Z. So what I do is I just make sure that he's offered a diverse range of foods. So say in his smoothie, for instance, we're putting in lots of nuts and seeds and as well as veggies and grains in his smoothies as well. So even just in that one meal alone, I know that he's getting iron. I know that he's getting calcium. I know that he's getting protein. And if you are someone that needs to know specifics, there are apps that you can track it in. There are heaps of amazing resources that you can find. And I'll mention a few later, but for me personally, after doing all the research in the beginning and listening and learning, I realized that if you just ate a diverse range of plants, and you know that includes your nuts, your legumes, your grains, your fruits, your vegetables, then you are going to get an adequate amount of everything. And watching Hunter grow and learn and thrive is really all the proof I need. It's that I don't need a an app to tell me that he's hit his calcium needs or that he's hit his proteins. I'm just watching him grow. And it's been incredible to see him thrive so much. Yes. And I'll link some apps in the show notes. But uh, one thing, if you go back and listen to now, I'm not sure which one of Natalie Woodman's episodes it is, but she talks in that about, (laughs) I always think maybe it's not even in an episode, maybe it's just Natalie and I were talking (laughs) in private. Uh, But I think it's in one of those two episodes. But just talking about that, it's not, we think that it's this recommended daily intake, you know, RDI on on the back of every label and every box saying you need this percent. And that makes it feel, for me, overwhelming and impossible. You know, I see that and I think, oh, my gosh, I don't know. Did he have... 25 grams of calcium today and it makes you just panic and feel overwhelmed and if and if I was someone who was like that which I can I have been it can feel awfully difficult to think about changing your kid to a vegan diet because you're thinking how will I do that when I'm working and I'm working full time and I'm studying and my husband's working and he's not vegan and oh my gosh how am I going to know like Emily said, what and what Natalie says is nowadays we know that we actually have a bigger window to get all those nutrients in. And it's about 14 days from memory. So you don't have to think, oh, every day, oh my gosh, he didn't eat lettuce today. You just have to make sure that he's eaten, a, they've eaten a diverse range across a fairly big window. You know, and especially like think about a toddler, toddler age when they really can be quite fussy and difficult and they might only want to eat potato for one whole day or two days. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, I've only eaten potato and hummus today. But the next day they'll want a banana, some mango. Then the next day they'll want some, a kale smoothie or the next day they'll want some dates and some peanut butter. It all evens out in the wash. Yeah, I completely agree. And especially what you said with them being fussy, because he ate so well as a little tacker one, and he would devour anything and everything. Now he has definitely entered the phase of fussy eating. And 
sometimes getting, you know, a certain vegetable into him or even a certain fruit sometimes if he's not in the right mood, it's impossible and it's just not worth stressing about either because they do, they change day to day and what he is obsessed with one day does alter the next. His stocks, his staples still remain as hummus, avocado and, you know, a few fruits, but sometimes getting in other meals is really challenging, but he, he's a constant grazer throughout the day. So I know that he's getting a really large, diverse range of nutrients in that way. Absolutely. And one of the things that it's interesting, because Iggy was, was, he loved green smoothie and I could put anything in that green smoothie when he was one and two. He would just devour them. He'd have a big Salvador Dali mustache from drinking it out of the glass and have it covering (laughs) his cheeks. And he would eat, you know, celery and all these things. And then he didn't. And I think sometimes it can be two things I've noticed with mums and myself is that you assume things that you don't like, they won't like. And so you don't offer those things because you think, and then if you do offer them, you make a face like, like, I, I hate this food. I'm going to give you this food that I hate. And of course they hate it. Like, of course she hates it. I hate it. It's disgusting. But then if I fake that I like a food and give it with a smile and a nice face, then they'll be more curious and open to trying it with an open mind rather than having this. My mum's giving me this food with a repulsed face. Like if I gave her, for me, I don't love um, okra. I don't love okra. So if I handed it to Theo and went, uh, try this okra uh, while I'm like, of course he's going to have, but if I just give it to him with a neutral face, they just go in with their own curious minds and he might like it or he might not like it. If I go, I don't like salads that much. Like I do eat lots of them, but, and I have to, I make really good ones, but like the plain salads with just iceberg and big chunks of tomato too. and lettuce that like my mum and dad make, sorry, mum and dad. I don't love them. I prefer to have a big Buddha bowl salad with seeds and pumpkin and just a rainbow of everything and then I'm in heaven. But if it's just a boring salad with no dressing and it's made from sadness, I'm not going to like it. But then my kids, like Iggy now, I'll think, oh, he's not going to like salad because, you know, it's a grown-up kind of thing for grown-ups to like. But he freaking loves them. So don't just assume that... It took me, you 40 years to like salad, so it's going to take your kids 40 years. Like they, they will like things that will blow your mind. Iggy will eat a whole salad if I just put some balsamic on it, and I would never expect that, or some lemon juice or some hummus or mix in some avocado chunks or whatever. He'll eat a giant bowl and, eat, and ask for a second, and I'll be thinking, oh, my gosh, I should have offered you this four years ago. Why didn't I? You know, always assume the, they're going to be better than you because they're better than you. <laughs> Kids are better than all of us. They're amazing. But, yeah, looking at that from the curiosity lens and allowing them to make up their own decision on what food they like and what food they don't and how it feels inside of their tummy, I think is really, really powerful for them now but also as they grow and mature as as, um, people and adults. It's a wonderful thing that we can teach them is to trust their own taste buds and trust their own instincts. So we are very relaxed about you know food rules in our house we just we eat on the couch because that's where he wanted to eat and we you know if he doesn't want to finish his dinner he doesn't have to finish his dinner it's not I didn't ever want to put pressure on him to for him to have to eat all the food on his plate I want him to trust his own body receptors and really understand 
how he feels after certain food. And, and we talk about it all the time, you know, how did that make you feel? And he's only two and a half, but he does have a good understanding already. And he went through a really big phase of eating, you know, pickles, but he wanted pickles and peanut butter. I mean, that is a very weird combination that I would not recommend. Like he's a pregnant lady. <laughs> yep. But that's what he wanted to eat. So, okay. He liked it. It's not, you know, we just let him experiment with the food and figure out what's not nice. Same with things like raw vegetables that I would never ever eat raw. I would always cook them, but he, as I'm cutting them up to cook, he wants, he wants to chuck them in his mouth and have a bite. And I'm like, oh yeah, give it a go. And then he'll go, oh, not nice. Or he'll say, oh, okay. But it's his decision. It's his opinion on the food, not me dictating to him how he should feel about it, which I really like putting him in control of anything. Yeah, it's really powerful. I think that's a really, really nice thing to do. And I've been the similar with us. And I think talking about food and where it comes from and what it does at dinner for, for our family – for me, I did not know uh, about food until I was a, a grown-up, and I like to talk to the kids about what this food comes from, who grew it, where it came from, you know, if it was, if, if, if it's organic, if it's not organic, what does it mean if it's not organic, like what's on it if it's not organic, it is, you know, and and is it packaged? Does it come in a wrapped plastic plastic bag? Did it, you know, I like to talk about these kind of conversations and what it does inside our bodies. You know, when Iggy, now I'll say to them, like, for, for instance, I'm terrible and I will, I'm a, I'm a contradiction as far as I keep thinking, oh, well, he's never tried this jelly bean that it's at the chemist and it is vegan. Maybe he should have a go of it because I don't want him to rebel when he's old and just be eating jelly beans for a year because his mum never let him have any <laughs> jelly beans. And he's an 18-year-old jelly bean addict. So I let them have jelly beans and Theo got a headache straight away from them and just talking like this jelly beans, like they're there, they're at the chemist. He's like, but chemist is where you go to get health food, <laughs> health supplements. And I'm like, this is where people go who aren't vegan. Because <laughs> I don't need to go here unless it's a very rare occasion. Like the other day I needed some cranberry juice, cranberry supplements, but that's about it. Yeah, but I gave them to him and he felt sick and we talked about it. He ate them and like you said, we talked about how did that feel in your body and Iggy's like, they taste amazing. And I mentioned Dr. Goldhammer and I said, he's like, I love them, I love them, I want them so bad. Uh, like when he was eating them, I love them. And I just said, have you ever said that about broccoli before or a carrot, Iggy? It's because you're addicted. It's because this food is crack food. It's a drug. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even food. It's not it's even food, food. food. Yeah. So they had this small, they shared this little small bag, like the smallest bag of jelly beans and they tasted them all and, and they all felt yuck afterwards. And now yesterday we're in the chemist and Theo just said, I don't want that. Like it gives me a headache, yeah. which is great. Like he know, obviously I don't want him to eat jelly beans, but I mean, he's so aware that if I hadn't had that conversation. I am plant-based 98% of the time mm. and Hunter probably mm. a little bit less mm. because I want him, I don't ever want him to feel like he has been deprived of food. So do I want him eating the hot chips? No. Do I want him eating these chocolate chips that my husband really likes when I cook with? No. Are they vegan? Yes. I want him to try them because I don't want him to ever rebel and feel like he's been deprived of things. And I also, you know, he's going to be different enough in a way. So I don't want him to feel like I, I can't eat 
any of this food that other people my own age eat. Mm. And when we go to a party, I can't eat any of the food that's there. Although I will say party food, all the parties I've been to have been like there's been epic fruit platters and veggies and hummus as well as some chips and cake, et cetera. Mm. But there's still great options at most parties these days. It's not always a whole lot of junk. But I don't want him to ever feel like he – is being deprived of things and risk him going just complete opposite junk food vegan 100% all the time. So I do let him dabble and try a few little things, but on the overall, he is whole food plant-based you know, majority of the time. Yeah, same. So that's that's exactly the same as me. And I don't know that different people, so if you're listening and you're like, oh, but you know, you host this podcast and you know all those foods are poison. I do I'm just also, I also know humans when we're told we can't have something, we want it desperately. You know, that's why in America, teen pregnancy is so rife because they're told God doesn't want you to have sex before you're married. And they're all just like, well, I'm not meant to, so I'm going to. And here I, here I am pregnant again. I just, sorry to make a joke, like make a lot of a serious subject, but I mean, I know what we're like as, as a species. We love to do the things we're not meant to do. You know, everyone knows smoking's bad, but every teenager wants to. To try smoking. Everyone knows alcohol is bad for you, but we all, all want to try alcohol. I just wanted to make sure that I'm there educating along the way when he's going to try these things and and just, just having, having an open discussion about why these foods aren't good for you. And the thing is, for me, my kids now are better than me at that because I'm still undoing a lifetime of poor eating, whereas Iggy will say to me, Mum, I don't want that. It's junk food. We don't need to get that. And I'll say to him, other day I literally said, we're going to go to Fitzroy for this thing. Do you want to go to Girls and Boys and get fancy vegan ice creams? And Iggy just said, like, Mum, you know, I, I know that they're no good for me. <laughs> That's so great. So I've always, I'm in awe of when I watch Hunter eat because he will stop when he's full. And that is my biggest, <laughs> my biggest problem is I love food so much. So I will eat it all. And if there's seconds, I will go back and I will get more. A big, like beautiful warming dull on a winter night. I'll go and get way more than I ever needed. Yes. And I watch him and he loves it. He's having so much fun eating it. He thinks it's the best food ever. But then he just stops. I'm like, are you going to finish that? And he's like, no, nah, I'm done. I'm like, I'll eat it then. Oh, <laughs> I'm in awe of watching him be so in control of when he's full and when he's hungry and what he wants to eat. So I, all I want to do is foster that even more. So the more I can put him in control and allow him to try different foods in what I refer to as like a safe environment Mm -hmm. and talk him through them and say, you know, this isn't actually, it is vegan. There's no, he always asks me if there's moo cow in something. That's how we determine if it's vegan or not vegan for him. And he goes, is it got moo cow? I say, no, but it's not the best for us. So we can try a little bit and see how you feel. He goes, okay, just one. I said, just one. So you know, he's really good at having that conversation with me already and understanding that it may be vegan or, and it may be okay for us to eat, but it is definitely something we're just going to have a really small amount of and see how it goes in our body and try and, and work through that process. Yeah. And it's really tricky because we have these words like like schools teach this sometimes foods and other people call it treat foods and those types of things. And for me, that's been really difficult because you're saying this is a treat. And I said to him the other, the other day, we we're talking in the car, I'm like, we call it a treat, but a treat means it's a gift. And McDonald's isn't a gift for anyone's body. You know, ice, vegan ice cream isn't a gift for anyone. Like, I guess you can see it as when you're doing a loving act and if you eat anything with a loving intention, I do 
really believe that whatever you eat with a really positive feeling changes the energy of the thing that you're eating a bit. But I mean, there's not much you can really do with McDonald's. <laughs> once, once it's become McDonald's. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's not good at all. It's not good at all. <laughs> no. Treat food is the beautiful tray of mangoes I just went and bought at the fruit shop that smell so divine. And I think it's about it's about relearning and finding joy in, in different food. And I want him to to have that. So he wakes up asking for mango like he that's his thing that he wants. So never stop doing that, please. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I like I just I just think it's lovely when our kids are excited by fruits and open to trying new fruits and vegetables. And like Iggy's first meal he ever cooked, like he cooked a meal from scratch and he called it the green what was it? The green bowl or whatever and it was just sparsely <laughs> broccoli and zucchini in a bowl with garlic um that he fried up and put with balsamic and he cooked it himself and made it for the whole fa- for the whole family and i was so surprised it tasted really good and he ate the whole thing because he made it but he was just playing in the fridge with things that he thought looked good and he created this meal like three years ago he hasn't made it so now he's just baked beans like a bloody hobo <laughs> but that was impressive i was like wow look at you four green things you wanted to make it all green and i was like oh god it's gonna be terrible but we actually enjoyed it all of us getting hunter cooking in the kitchen is amazing because i do always find he is super willing to try anything that we cook together and we're in the kitchen if you do follow me on instagram you'll know we're in the kitchen every day (laughs) (laughs) cooking up a storm and he loves to help he pours everything into the blender he knows how to work it he he probably eats most of his food while we're cooking and then the meal will be done and I'm like do you want any he's like no full I'm like okay (laughs) that's because you ate (laughs) half the batter as I was making the muffins or you ate you know all the avocado as I was making the guacamole so he likes to be involved in that and I'm not going to tell him he has to wait until dinner if he's hungry now and he wants to try it because it's exciting then he can go for it and he can just be a part of mealtime even if he's not eating at mealtime. Yes. And I love that. I think the two things that I found the best is getting kids involved in the kitchen. So my kids have always helped with juicing, with smoothies, with with cutting up vegetables. I've got them as safety knives and they're just chopping. And even though their chopping looks yuck, (laughs) (laughs) I don't like their chunks, but fine. (laughs) They love it. And helping them plant seeds in the garden and water the plants and teaching them about the... Even if you had, we had a tiny little garden when we first had Iggy and it was just a little box veggie patch that we got from um, Bunnings and we built it together and we decorated it and named it and painted it with little paints and he was one and a half and just picking cherry tomatoes and picking bits of the herbs and putting them in his mouth. It's just such a great way to get them to understand different textures and flavours and explore a plant-based diet through a different way. It's invaluable. Absolutely. Uh, Now, I want to talk about parties. I think a lot of parents get, and for me, that was a big thing when you've got a little two-year-old and they're going to their first birthday parties and their first things with non-vegans. I remember my first one, I took a cooler bag and I was so nervous about cake time and I was so nervous about the junk food because I didn't want to be there hovering like a helicopter mom saying, don't touch that, it's not vegan, la, 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 la. Um, how did you go about it when you first went to a place where he was he's going to be touching things and there's going to be foods there that he can't eat and a big happy birthday song with a cake that it's not vegan? How did you go about that personally? So I think because 
my family, my extended family isn't vegan. And as much as I would love them to be vegan, it is being good having them not vegan because it means since he was born, he has been around a lot of non-vegan food. Mm -hmm. We didn't stop socializing with friends just because they weren't vegan and they would have other food. So even in a non-party setting, he was still used to there being other food around. So when we went to a big party and there was a big smorgasbord of food, he was already quite familiar with the concept that some of it he would be allowed to eat and some of it he wouldn't. And he asks me now, so I said before, he'll actually come up to me if he finds a bit of food he doesn't recognize and he'll say, moo cow. And I'll either say yes. And he'll say, oh, other people eat it. I said, that's right. Other people can eat it and he'll go and put it back. Or he says, okay, hunter eat it. And off he goes and he eats it. Or if I mentioned before, if it is junk food, I say, you know what, it's not no moo cow in that one, but just have maybe just have one because it's not very good for our tummies. And and then we go down that path as well. So he's really, really great. He does associate parties very strongly with cake. We're going to a party cake at the party. Cake, cake, cake. <laughs> and I've never actually brought a cake substitute to a party. I've just let him navigate it with him if he if it is a suitable one that he can eat and if he isn't because he is going to be in situations where he can't eat everything. And some people might think that that's really mean that I'm not bringing like a, you know, a cake that he can enjoy at the party. But I am also of the opinion that parties aren't just about the cake. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they yeah. Are, there is so much more value at the party. He's seeing all of his friends and he's playing and there's still going to be fresh fruit. If he misses out on the cake, that is not going to ruin his day. And he's just going to have to live with it. Sometimes there isn't food available that we can eat. And I think it, Michael Fields, if you're listening, I'm going to mention Andrew Taylor. I think that it's again, like when we have this big focus on the cake, it's like Andrew says, we're making food the, 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 the biggest exciting extravagance of this event. And not like you say, all the beautiful things you're having with your family and friends, all the interactions you're having, all of the love and joy and connection that you're spending with your loved ones. We're making it about a cake and you see kids. And I do think that for me, those kind, that, that kind of message has this food is the thing. Food is the joy. Food is the thing. And unfortunately for me, that opposite was true. Food was the suffering, the misery, the multiple sclerosis and the obesity. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's all about creating a positive environment around food, but not making it the focus either. So I want him involved in cooking, but why are we cooking this? We're cooking this because we can share this food with Nana and with Papa and we can go and take it there. And, and he's like, oh, you know, Nana, try this. I said, yeah. So, we, you know, we, he loves to bake food for other people and and give it to them and see the joy that it creates for other people as well. So it's all about connection. And I hope that just by doing those small things and not focusing on the cake at the parties that he understands that even though food's purpose is to nourish us, it has a much larger purpose, in my opinion, which is to bring us together. And it's about sitting down to a meal together, whether we eat it or not, because we're having a fussy day, we're still going to sit down around the couch or the table or outside, wherever we are, and just be together in that moment, uninterrupted and enjoy some food and each other's company. I love that. And I think that for most of us, it takes our whole life. It's what I love about raising vegan kids is talking about is that dialogue and that connection to the food and to each other and to 
what the real purpose of food is to nourish our bodies, to connect with our loved ones, to share with our family and friends, rather than food being this, like, this is the source of the joy that I have and everything else is superfluous around around when I'm going to eat next and what it's going to be. Definitely. That, that's, did I use superfluous right then? Because <laughs> I can't answer that because I'm not sure. <laughs> Ringy, if you're listening, let me know. But I'm going to leave it in. In my mind, it means they're inconsequential things and food is the only important thing. That They're the yeah, things I around the food. I would agree. Superfluous. They're kind of just. Ask me about vegan food, Corinne, not about the English language. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, everyone. (laughs) Yes. So I I love that. And I I do think that if you have questions about cows, if you're listening to this podcast, then you're with us in being one of the 1% and we have access to the internet. So if you have issues with calcium, B12, all of those things, I highly recommend looking at nutritionfacts.org for your answers. There's heaps and heaps and heaps of information about raising kids and where they're going to get the vegan, where they're going to get the calcium, B12, omega-3, and why they need them, where they're going to get their vitamin K2. All of those things are there. There's a heap of episodes of this podcast with nutritionists, doctors, and other experts who can talk to you about your nutrition-specific concerns because I know that there are they exist because I definitely had them when I was especially with Iggy because he – was my first and I was petrified that I was going to be doing him some monumental damage to his development, his brain development, his bone density, you know, his everything development. He is now the tallest in his class. He is second fastest in his class. He's always running and playing. He's super – I think because my brother had muscular dystrophy and couldn't walk and couldn't run and couldn't play, I do find it just – wondrous to see my vegan son who people say are weaker and not as fast and smell like cabbage (laughs) (laughs) I love seeing how fit and strong he is and I think my parents do as well obviously because of watching Brett not be able to do those things so I love seeing kids like Hunter and the kids who come to vegan potlucks at my house or at vegan playgroup, just running and playing and looking so vital. And they're the voices that I want to see more of in the media, stories like Hunters out there. Now, I wanted, before we hang up, I have three more things I want to ask you about. One is, what are your favorite vegan resources? Yeah, so you just mentioned nutrition facts, which I love because it's video content and audio content. And sometimes when, you know, you're running after kids or you're trying to change things, chucking, you know, some headphones in and listening is better than reading. Um, but I will say Raise Vegan website was really great. They had some really amazing blogs and they were all researched as well. And some weren't, some were more just opinion pieces from other people, but I always found that quite insightful too, just to learn about how other people were doing things in their own life. And they're not necessarily in terms of raising kids. There is some facts on there, but the Plant Proof podcast is another great podcast. It has some excellent resources too and about where you can get all your nutrients from and calcium and protein and everything that you you know worry about or wonder about so they're probably the three that I go to but besides just wanting to know more and learn more now I'm just very confident in the decision that we made to go vegan and for to raise hunter vegan so I don't not necessarily researching that information anymore that was just where I went at the start yep I love all of those 
places. Hi, Simon from Plant Proof Podcast. I love that podcast too. It's really, really, really good. Although he makes me feel like a hack. A hack, I feel like. <laughs> no. I don't know. Simon's so polished and clean and great and he's everything looks beautiful. So, yeah, I feel like a, a hobo who fell out of a bin side by side with, <laughs> with Simon. <laughs> but uh, in the, I don't feel bad about it. It just makes me laugh. I find it just comical and amusing to me. <laughs> There's room for us all. There's room for us all. But, yeah, no, he's wonderful. The other thing I wanted to say is where can people follow you to find out more about all of the Hunter, what Hunter's doing, how things are going, all those things. Before you start, I also want you to talk about your coming ebooks that are coming oh, out yeah, soon so for excited. everyone so they can eat them and eat all the delicious things I've been watching you create over yeah, on your stories. Yeah, it's going to be very exciting. So you can follow us on uh, Instagram at Emily Sonsi, so E-M-I-L-L-Y-S-O-N-S-I-E. And I regularly post, but we're pretty heavy on stories and just showing you kind of little bits that we're eating, what we're doing with our day and all about cooking. And I will just say that however much I show of what we're cooking, it's normally at least four times that amount. We are in the kitchen a lot. We love to cook because at the moment we are creating a lot of content and recipes for these delicious ebooks that I'm making. There are going to be two ebooks, a sweet ebook and a savory ebook. So the sweet ebook both will have over about 100 recipes in them. The sweet ebook is a lot of raw treats, baked goods, breakfast, but breakfast or lunch or dinner, whatever you're vibing, foods. And also just a section on letting fruit just be the star of the plate because that majority of the time that is how we eat. So I do want these ebooks to be a representation of our actual lives. And then the savory ebook um, is split into a few more sections. You've got mains, there's soups and curries beautiful lentil dal dishes, a whole section, Corinne, you're going to love this, on potato because <gasps> potato is amazing. Yes. And just different ways that you can do it and how versatile it is because I'm trying to show how not only simple plant-based cooking can be but how affordable plant-based mm. cooking can be as well. So if all you can afford is a bag of potatoes, you can do endless possibilities with that bag of potatoes. So you don't need to be buying the organic broccoli or the organic this just to dish up whole food plant-based eating. So, But if that's what you want to do, by all means, buy organic broccoli because that's also great. But potatoes will get you far. There's also a whole section on dips and crackers and finger food and butter bowls. It is going to be delicious. And you heard it here first, folks, but there is going to be a third one, which is going to be really exciting that I haven't put on my, my Instagram, uh, but I'm doing a special Christmas ebook. So when they'll all get released at once. And then if you purchase both the savory and sweet, I'm just going to give you the Christmas ebook out of the kindness of my heart, which is going to be a beautiful menu for your Christmas day, which is really about letting plants be the star of the show, but that will work alongside any potential meat dishes that you will have with extended family because you don't want to put anyone offside. So it just means that everyone can kind of love the food, but you're still catered for if you're going to a Christmas event, which would be great. That is so exciting. I cannot wait to get all of my copies and send them. We have a Christmas shared messenger thread that we have for Christmas. Oh, it'll go down well. 
at our house. I'll be sending through all the recipes and I can't wait to try them all out with my brother and my family. I'm really looking forward to it because every year you want something new to try and exciting. So it's always good. I always love getting new recipes for Christmas Day. Sometimes they're hits, sometimes they're misses. Well, these will all be hits. I'm just putting it out there. They're all winners. They've been tried and tested by meat eaters and by vegans and by everyone. Babies, adults, they're all loved. (laughs) <laughs> I cannot wait. Um, now, I'm so excited about your book. So, everyone, the links. Thank you. The link, they're coming out in? The plan is to release them 1st of December, but knowing me, I normally do things a little bit early than my actual deadline, so I'm aiming for mid-November. So, soon. Mid-November. And they'll, if they follow you on Instagram, they'll get all the information about when You'll it's going get to be launched. all the information there as well. Yep. For sure. Awesome. So make sure to follow her so that you know when they're coming out. Uh, and lastly, what would be your three biggest tips for anyone who is considering raising their child vegan? Definitely the first one is to find knowledge. Have Find the information so when people ask you questions, you're confident in how you're going to respond because a lot of the time I think we're very caught up in the fear and the judgment of other people. And if we just do something on a whim, oh, I'm raising my kid vegan, but I don't really know anything about it then that's when people are going to be, oh, she's neglectful or she's doing this with her child. She doesn't know what she's doing. But if you can back it up with just some basic information, a couple of veggies where they get calcium from, a couple of you know ingredients where they're going to get their protein from, et cetera. The second one would be to start building a community around you. And that's either in an online space or physical because if those people, you don't know anyone that's vegan, but if you start connecting with people online, you can start to realize because it can feel quite isolating I suppose if you're the only person you know who is considering making this change in your life so do reach out to other people we're nice people we want to talk we also want to build a bigger community around us so if you reach out to anyone then that's always going to be great and then lastly would be Don't take it personally, I think, when people criticize or make negative comments towards the choices that you're doing because they have learned the same information that you grew up with and they're on their own journey to potentially unlearning it or never unlearning it. So it's not really about you. What people think about you is none of your business. It's just it's their perception on things. So try not to take it personally and have confidence in your parenting skills because no one knows your kids better than you. I really love that last one and that's one I haven't heard before and I think it's so valuable because it's so easy to take things personally. Uh, It's so easy. So I think that you're totally right. It is their own stuff and their own perception of you and it is none of your business what they what they think of you ultimately at the end of the day. It just causes you, I talk to my kids about when people are, you know, it's their, when you say hateful, unkind things, you're the one taking that poison, you know. Definitely. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I love your three tips, research, community, don't take it personally. I think that they're all absolutely the tips I would give and just not to be so hard on yourself. I think as parents, we're often super, super hard on ourselves to make sure that we're doing the right thing, especially because the world feels like it's watching us sometimes when we're raising kids vegan Uh, and we feel really uncomfortable when it's in the media and it's negative in the media. It feels really... Like it's about like they're talking about you specifically and your parenting. I find so taking it don't don't take, don't take it personally is something that I think can carry over for those things as well. And just be like you know I know that this is beautiful for my family and that I'm doing the right thing for my family, for the animals, for my children's health, and for the planet. 
and just when you've, when, you've, when you've done enough research and you have supportive people around you that are also living the same way, raising their children vegan and they're vegan for the animals or the health or for the planet, um, it just really, really helps. The more people that I've connected with that are share share these values of compassion and kindness the easier it's become for me, I have to admit. I feel exactly the same way. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Emily. It was an absolute joy. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Corinne. You're so welcome. Anytime. I'll see you soon. (laughs) Thank you so much, Emily, for coming on the show. It was so great talking to you. I love having vegan mothers and parents in my life as we navigate this non-vegan world together and raising our children. It's just wonderful and exciting to talk to someone who shares the same values. And I know that everyone says that they share the same value of kindness and compassion. And of course, of course, we all do. I don't think there's any really, I don't think there's, well, I don't think there's very many un people who, if you ask them outright, if they don't value kindness and compassion would say, yes, actually I don't. <laughs> I think most people do. And I don't mean to sound like I don't think that non-vegans are kind or compassionate. I just think that for me, it's a very, very, very strong value where if I can, if I can knowingly make the choice between harming an animal or not harming an animal for my taste buds or my fashion or my entertainment or my health, then I will make that choice always in regards to the best interests of all parties, not just my own. And I hope that doesn't make it sound like a obnoxious vegan. I, I guess it might if you're not listening and you feel triggered by me saying that, like, hey, I'm a kind person. I'm sorry, but for me, when you harm animals and creatures for no reason, it's you just can't deny that it's just not as kind as not doing that. I don't know how to say it without sounding offending people. If if you are triggered, maybe look at what is making you think that I'm an asshole for saying that because I just don't know how you can harm a creature and call and say that you're an animal lover for instance for me they don't because they can't they're not they don't exist together at the same time but I do think that I did that so I'm not beyond it because I definitely spent most of my life loving animals love thinking believing I was a kind person and making those choices over and over again out of ignorance out of habit out of lack of compassion out of complacency out of well, sometimes you're so busy focused on just putting out the fires of your life that that's the last thing on your mind. And I've definitely been there. I definitely was someone who ate animals for years and years and years. I ate them until Iggy was born, so until I was 31. So I spent 31 years making that exact same choice from those exact same reasons. I was broke. I was busy. I was distracted. I was sick. I was depressed. There's all the reasons why going vegan was the last. I was heartbroken from multiple breakups in my 20s. There's many, many, many reasons why I wasn't in the space to open my heart and mind to veganism and to a plant-based diet. And I know that many people out there in the world are in their own version of them. But for me, once I knew better and I felt ready, then I made that switch and I made that connection. And I feel better spiritually, lighter. I feel better in my health, better as a 
person, more energised. I feel so amazing and I have no regrets apart from my, you know, obviously I wish that my parents knew that, that information and were vegan when I was before I was born and that I was raised vegan my whole life. That would be amazing, but I can't turn back time and they are on their own path eating and getting better themselves slowly, but surely. <laughs> Hi, mum, if you're listening. So I don't think the people who aren't vegan yet are evil and unkind monsters with that, that lack compassion. Or I don't, I, don't, I don't think that they're sociopaths. I know everyone's on their own journey. It's just that this is where I'm at right now. And I want my children to have those values of kindness and compassion instilled with them now so that they don't have to strip everything off again when they're older and find this themselves then. I want them to have that information now so that they can make informed choices from the start and not have to, you know, take off all their conditioning and find their compassion as adults. Because I think we're all, you know, all babies. You see all babies and two-year-olds love animals, would never hurt them. It's only humans who teach them apathy and lack of compassion by our food choices, our entertainment choices, our clothing choices. We just we just keep putting that on them over and over again until in the end they don't don't see animals as as friends. They see animals as things that we can just use and exploit to our own leisure for as long as possible, even though we're watching what's happening in the Amazon and what's happening to the planet right now. And what's happening to wildlife, you know, with wildlife extinction, we're in the sixth mass extinction right now. It's all happening right in front of us. You know, we're, we're becoming extinct with the rate of chronic disease. You know, we are literally killing ourselves and the planet and the animals all in one fell swoop with our food choices, our lifestyle choices, our entertainment choices and our complacency. And so, yeah, I just obviously I'm very passionate about this. I don't mean to offend but if you are offended, I guess you have to take a look inwards and consider where that's coming from. Because if someone's triggering you and what they're talking about is kindness and being more kind, I think that the person with the problem shouldn't be the person that's talking about kindness. And that's what veganism is. And I've actually thought about not calling myself vegan, even though I know that everyone gets super... <laughs> up in arms and I'm one of those people that gets like no keep calling yourself vegan I think it's really important to do that but I think when people hear vegan they get this ugh but if I just went to the cafe and said do you have any compassionate milk it would start a dialogue <laughs> for sure if they're like what all the milks can well is it though because if you're taking someone's baby away and forcibly impregnating them and then stealing their breast milk that's meant for their child is that compassionate because I don't think an oat is grieving the loss of its oat family as intensively as a cow, a sentient being cow. And even though plants have feelings too, it's not the same. When we walk on a blade of grass, it's not the same as killing a sentient creature with hopes and dreams and all of those things that animals, we know animals have family, love, connection, all the things that we know animals have just from spending time with them. If you have an animal friend, you know in deep within that they have their own sense of agency, that they are their own creatures with their own purpose. And 
I don't have any right to decide when that person lives or dies or if they live in a cage or if they're free. I want them to be free. I know that that might be optimistic and wildly impossible in the way we live in today's world for many, many animals and creatures to be, but I think ultimately everyone wants to be free at the end of the day. Yeah, so... That's my rambling. But, yeah, I just wanted to say that because I know people will get like, oh, when I say that I want my children to learn compassion because I think everyone wants that but not everyone's vegan. And, yeah, I don't know how how to put those two together in a way that's not unpleasant feeling for people and doesn't make people feel uncomfortable. It just has to exist and the uncomfortableness has to exist, unfortunately, until people make the switch they need to feel a bit uncomfortable in their choices. And I know Ranjit did when we were vegan and he wasn't vegan. You know, he had that uncomfortable feeling at every mealtime when the children would say, Daddy, why are you eating that? What are you eating? And I would say he's eating pieces of uh, pig um, that wanted to live. (laughs) And that might sound awful, but that's the truth. You know, he's eating pieces of a chicken um, that didn't want to die. And he was doing that. That's his. That, that's the truth. I'm not going to skirt around it. That's what he was eating. And it made him feel uncomfortable. It wasn't a nice thing because the kids would ask every single meal, what is it? And I would just say, or he would say, I'm saying, he's eating a piece of a pig's bottom. That's bacon on his plate. He's eating cow's breast milk. And you know how you love breast milk? Well, those baby cows would have loved that too, but they're not getting that breast milk because that is taking it. I'm, I'm sorry if that seems like a really harsh thing to say to children, but it didn't, they didn't take it harsh. They were just like, oh... But Ranjit had to feel that discomfort. And unfortunately, I think a lot of us need to feel some discomfort around our choices because our choices are icky and I have to feel discomfort around where my iPhone is made and the car that I drive and how much I drive my car. And I have to feel it until I make changes. I have to feel discomfort around my plastic use and when I purchase single-use plastic. And I should feel that discomfort because without that discomfort, nothing changes on this planet. I have to feel discomfort when I buy things online that I might not need or when I buy junk food or when I take my kids to things that are less environmentally friendly or those kinds of things. And I should feel that discomfort because that discomfort is where change happens. So I know that lots of parents never want our kids to feel discomfort. We never want our kids to know suffering. But the discomfort and the suffering from every single guest on this show is where change has happened. We get the heart attack. Change happens. It feels horrible to have a heart attack. The guests on this show were terrified when they get the diabetes diagnosis, when they get the multiple sclerosis diagnosis, when when my brother died. It's horrible suffering and discomfort, but his life and his death and his suffering and my suffering and the guests on this show's suffering, that's where the biggest change happened. Without the loss of my brother, I would not be so dedicated and committed to sharing these stories to help prevent other families from watching their family members suffer slowly and die slowly. This podcast is here for him. It's his legacy. He inspires me and ignites me to get this podcast out every single week because no one should watch their loved one waste away slowly and then die in their arms while they're begging them to breathe again, to live again, to say one more thing. 
No one should have to go through that. And we are in an epidemic of chronic disease where people are watching their family members die from completely preventable diseases that are caused by processed food, sugar, salt, fat, meat, eggs, dairy, over and over and over and over again. And these industries have so much money, so much marketing. They're paying food scientists to make them super addictive so that our kids, our children, our loved ones cannot get off them. And so the cycle continues endlessly where people's life expectancies are increasing, but their quality of life is decreasing. They are living in sick bodies endlessly. 40-year-olds can live up to 90, 100 years old in a freaking chronically ill body. That is not a world I want to live in. That is not a world anyone's loved one should live in. Who wants you to watch your mum chronically ill for the last 60 years of her life? Who wants to watch your loved ones, your husband, your spouse, your children develop heart disease, chronic disease, multiple sclerosis, ulcerative colitis, all of these preventable lifestyle diseases? And when I say lifestyle diseases, it might seem like just semantics, just jargon. Lifestyle diseases means that we, our lifestyles cause them. They're not just, we're just definitely going to get those. No, it's not genetics. It's just that we, even if it, it is, even if it, even if the, some, some, the few that are genetics, we pull the trigger to set those genes off. We pull the trigger. So the raising vegan kids is about helping to prevent chronic disease for future generations, helping to them to teach them how to tread lightly on this planet, to teach them how to act with compassion towards animals and other creatures so that we all can live in harmony together on this earth and so that nobody has to, you know, watch their parents in nursing homes for 20 years at the end of, at end of life care because they just couldn't stop eating meat, eggs, dairy, salt, oil, sugar, and processed foods. It's just not worth it. So what I was, my roundabout way of saying that the suffering, the awkwardness that you feel when I say compassion, compassionate living means not eating animals, which means being vegan. That awkwardness is good. Feel it. Feel it deeply. Feel the discomfort because with each yuck feeling that you get when I say that it's not compassionate, there's a lesson sit with it and really consider it and what it means for you. And maybe it won't make you vegan today and maybe it won't make you vegan next year or next two years, whenever, but keep coming back to it because you feel yuck for a reason and it's not because of what I'm saying, it's because of what your actions, that your actions are out of alignment with your values of kindness and compassion. Harsh truth. That was a long outro. I should go, but I just wanted to say that. Thank you, Emily. Again, Emily Sonzi, I, sorry, E-M-I-L-L-Y-S-O-N-S-I-E over at Instagram. Get her new eBooks. I've watched all of them being created over on Insta Stories and they look so delicious. Thank you, Emily, for coming on the show. Thank you all so much for listening. See you next week. Bye. Bags are packed. Are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunny 